Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy. I'm your host. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to SST on Apple Podcasts app and Spotify. Also, podcast is always on YouTube, so don't forget to subscribe, hit the notification bell on YouTube, drop a comment, hit us up on social at Subway Sports Talk. We appreciate hearing from y'all, especially with the picks that we've done so damn well with so far. Just kidding. We're a combined 10 for 20, but it's a long season. Joining me for this long season, Pat Boyle. What's up, my guy? Pete, it is a long season, right? That's my... That's my mantra until we get this thing turned around and above 500. It's a long season, right? I feel like we've been we've been busted up with some bad luck so far with the picks, but we're gonna we're gonna right the ship. And uh, dude, we're like in full swing now. You know, we got like the you know start queuing up the Francesa week three already. Week eight, <laughs> would you believe it? <laughs> Every single week. I mean, that's what, that's Can you what, believe it already? Oh, that's what it feels like. It flies by, dude. So we uh, we're we're well in the thick of things here. It's true. And, you know, it feels like with every week you learn something and you can start to put some context around stuff and feel a bit more firm in what you're seeing. You know, week one is always so unexpected. Week two, there's some carryover. There's still some unexpected. Obviously, there's a couple games we're going to point out specifically that just had mayhem, you know, for better or worse, whether you're on the rooting side or uh, you're on the, the wrong side of some of these comebacks. It, it was just nuts. And some of these teams don't know who they are yet. And I think that's an important thing to talk about here because they're figuring it out. We talk about offensive line sometimes and their struggles. Some of these new groups, the Bengals come to mind, who I've been critical of leading up to the season, feel good about that so far. However, like there is a reason to believe their offensive line gets better with more reps together, right? So, so it's early, and as a better, you have to know that. As a team, they all have to know that because they ain't done yet. There's even some 0-2 teams like the Bengals that aren't dead yet and have reason to believe they're on the right track. So we're going to get into a bunch of that. Also, we're going to review our picks quickly and talk about what happened in week two. We will look forward to week three to highlight some of our big games. And then, uh, but and then, yeah, that's pretty much it for football. Then our picks will come later in the week. And before we get into all that in just a minute, I do want to tell you about one other thing, and that's these Raycon wireless earbuds. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of the band called Camp. That's with two A-C-A-A-M-P. Because I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to a concert soon. And when I'm heading to a concert, I like to kind of tap into that band or that artist before I get there. Get that vibe right. Get reminded of a couple of my favorite songs that maybe are a little bit older. They might set into the playlist there. And I love it. Campus sound fantastic. This alternative rock indie band. Just lovely, lovely vibe. So my Raycon wireless earbuds, it sounds fantastic. Plus, these earbuds look and feel great, too. With these optimized gel fits I've been telling you about, you will find the perfect in-ear fit. People always talk about earbuds. Oh, they don't fit my ears. Oh, they fall out. With these multitude of options, you will find the right one that fits your ear perfectly, and they will not fall out. Plus, they got eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life total, and they're priced just right. I mean, you can get run out of the store with some prices of these audio earbuds out here. But these are half the price of those other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have 50,000 five-star reviews. And one of the things I love most about them is the customizable sound profiles. You can mix and match kind of what you want, what you need out of these earbuds. I talked about it before. Whether you're walking outside, you want to hear some ambient noise around you, whether you want to tap in, you can figure out exactly what you need from these earbuds and they will deliver. So what you have to do is try for yourself. 
Go to buyraycon.com today. Use code TBPN15 to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's code TBN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com, code TBPN15. Before we get into football, Pat, though, I do want to touch on some New York baseball real quick because we had two games here, uh, not all here in New York, but for our New York teams that had some of those crazy comeback vibes from week two. Maybe it's just a week two vibe right now across all sorts of, of, of sports here. The Mets get a big grand slam from Francisco Lindor to take the lead against Milwaukee. And Giancarlo Stanton, you know, back from his injury for a few weeks now, has his big return moment with the walk-off grand slam against the Pirates team that the Yankees really just have no excuse to lose to. Like the Mets, they got routed by the Cubs. They get the Pirates, and they got right. The Yankees wanted to do the same. So, Pat, let's quickly touch on some baseball vibes here before we dive back into football. Tuesday night was wild for New York baseball. So what is your feelings right now? The Mets just clinched the playoff spot. The Yankees are still, you know, they're playing good baseball right now. They're still uh, waiting for their clinching moment. But from your perspective, what are you feeling around both of these New York baseball squads and and where they're headed into the end of September? I mean, Pete, I've, I've said it on multiple shows that I've hosted on, on WFAN this summer, and I'm going to say it again here on Subway Sports Talk. Get ready for a Subway Series World Series because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yankees went into the gigantic swoon. It, it seems like it has happened at the right time. I still know that they're not as good as they were, obviously, from April to June. That's fine. They still got another two weeks here to continue to get hot. A win like tonight. There was no shot in hell they win that game three weeks ago, a month ago, in the uh, you know the dog days of August. This team has come out of that. Harrison Bader, thank you that Trey can finally pay some dividends. He had a huge game on Tuesday night, a couple of big-time knocks, played some great defense. Um, and look, the story obviously coming out of that is Judge catches Ruth. I tweeted it September 20th, 2022. Judge catches Ruth, and then Stanton walks it off with a grand slam. I mean, you can't really ask for much more than that. If you're a, if you're a Yankee fan, I am hoping I'm finding out by later today on Wednesday, if I'm going to be going to the Yankee Sox game on Thursday night, if I am, I cannot wait to, this has been a magical season for judge. It's only right that he has the chance to do it against the Sox at the stadium this weekend. So that's going to be electric. And then dude, the Mets, if Scherzer, who came back, looked great, I mean, what yanked him with the perfect game, if he is healthy in October and Jake is healthy in October, they line up the rotation so that those guys are pitching four times in seven games and a best of seven, I don't know how you beat them. I don't see how anybody beats them. I don't care about the Dodgers, right? I mean, we've seen them have their troubles in October basically every year, but the, the COVID-shortened season. So I'm, I'm sticking to my thing, Yanks and Mets, Subway Series, World Series. Huge night for them on Tuesday. Lindor, the go-ahead slam. Judge and Stanton in the ninth. Great night for baseball overall. Coming off the heels, like you said, of a phenomenal week two football. It really is a special time. And I don't know how throughout that whole spiel I just made that I forget to mention Aaron Judge, who is now officially in the lead for the Triple Crown, which is just spectacular. And through all the negativity that surrounded the Yankees this season, the one shining light has always been Aaron Judge. He hasn't really slumped. I mean, yeah, everybody has their like one week where they're not so hot, right? He's had that, I'm sure, right? Obviously. But he has been so consistently awesome this year 
it's off the charts. And this is truly historic. And you said that Yankee fans are so excited for this. How are they not so jacked up for this? Baseball fans must be so excited for this. Yeah, it's part big, bad Yankees. Maybe some people are rooting against the Yankees. I don't find Aaron Judge a dislikable guy. I imagine most people across the league like Aaron Judge and see him as the face of the game right now. So outside of Boston, I think baseball fans are tapped in saying, I can't believe what I'm watching. We've seen some crazy seasons in our day. We've seen a triple crown before from Miguel Cabrera, but this is different. This is home run record combined with triple crown. That is unmarked territory, Pat, and it's truly off the charts that he's doing this right now. And the only thing I have to say about your Thursday night wishes is he has another couple at bats before we get to Thursday night. You might be seeing the record breaker, not the, the, the Maris tire. So you never know what happens between now and Thursday night. Bro, I'm hoping. I'm hoping he goes deep on Wednesday night. Like, I would absolutely rather 1,000% be there for 62 rather than 61. I don't know anybody that would tell you otherwise. If they are, they're either a herb or they're lying. So, uh, <laughs> Beggars can't be choosers. I think being in town for either one of those is going to be quite the spectacle. Well, well now, at worst, uh, at worst, if I am there on Thursday night, I'm there at worst for the record tire. Yeah, and you know, you know what's going to happen too? Oh, you don't know what's going to happen. He can go yard on every at-bat, obviously. But if he just hits like a pop-up, it can go to the third baseman. Don't matter. As soon as Aaron Judge makes contact and that ball has a vertical trajectory, it could be to the backstop. And people are <gasps> going nuts with every single pitch that comes his way. And that's just, that's just like an atmosphere that is kind of uh, un... un uh, what's the word? Un, oh my Uncharted. God. No, uncharted, yeah, un, um, duplicated. That's not the word, but like, uh, god damn, words are tough for recording on late night on a Tuesday. <laughs> uh, uh, wow, I don't even care. Somebody listening right now is like, bro, they know the word that I'm trying to say. Uh, un, freaking redonable. I don't know, redoable. That's not it either. It doesn't matter. I'm moving on. So you can't recreate that. Can't atmosphere. be replicated. Replicated. God that damn, what you were looking for? That's such a simple word, Pat, and I couldn't get it. I couldn't, I couldn't quite grab it, but there we are. That's why we got a, we're a team and we work together. So Sorry, you can't so we're, replicate we're shot. You, you can't replicate that atmosphere where every pitch to this guy for the rest of the season is going to feel, you know, like like game six of the freaking ALCS. That's that's what it's gonna feel like, and it's gonna be special. So I hope you enjoy that on, on Thursday night here. Well, yeah, and and bro, I mean, I was there when they played the Royals back on Sunday, July 31st, I was there. I knew it was the end of July. I didn't know if it was the 31st. And I had really good seats. Me and my dad and my mom went to that game. So, like, we got – like, we were behind the Yankees dugout, like, 20 rows back. And, bro, everybody was on their feet for him, like, the late at-bats in, in that game. And he was, what, the end of July? He was, like, mid-30s, late, you know, like, upper 30s at that point. And, and everybody in the stadium was up like going nuts for every single at bat. Like it has been this way for basically the entire season, which I'm glad, like it doesn't feel like all of a sudden it's been sprung upon us. Um, everybody has had a feel that this was a special season from like May, from the get go. He went on a tear right away. You said it. he's really never slumped, bro. He's hitting 400 in the last month. Like his average has gone from like 298 to 316, which you said now that he's in the running for the triple crown plus Plus Maris's record. Oh my God, dude. This is one hell of a year. The only thing that I'm upset about is that I didn't put more money on his MVP ticket when I saw it at plus 150 about a month and a half ago. And I was like, plus 150 feels like a bargain still. I think Shohei 
actually still had like a plus 125 at the time where he was ahead of Judge. I'm like, it's not happening. It's not happening with what he's doing with the record that they have. I don't care what Shohei is doing in Los Angeles. It's insane what he's doing. I'm not going to refute that, but Judge is crazy. I got it at plus 150, and I just wish I put more money on it because it's a lock. It's insane what he's accomplished so far this year. And um, everybody feels like they have a piece. That's a great point by you. I was at a game uh, way earlier in the season. They played the Astros on a Sunday. They had one hit for like 16 straight innings. It was terrible. And Judge hits a walk-off home run to beat the Astros on a Sunday afternoon. And it was it was amazing. And, and you feel that moment right there. You feel how special it is. And so often in sports, when somebody's off to some sort of uh, record pace, it gets sp- spoken to death. Oh, this guy's on pace for this. This guy can be the first that. This guy can do this. And how often does it not even particularly come close, right? And now all season long, we're talking about Judge's chance to catch 61. And he's, now he's here. He's at the door. He knocked twice. And he's ready to enter if they don't let him in soon. So it, it's super exciting. And, and the vibes for the Yankees with that going on is really huge, too. Because now they've they've won a lot of games. You know, they took the series against Tampa recently. They lost a series to Milwaukee being the only big negative lately. They're back to playing good baseball and they need it so bad. Uh, so, so we'll stick, we'll stick with them. We'll see what happens for the next couple of weeks and see how they feel going into the playoffs for the Mets. Uh, it's been a mixed bag. It's very weird as a Mets fan, in my opinion right now, where you kind of feel very different day to day, you know, every single game you can walk away with drastically different feelings. And I was thinking about this idea for, for one of our segments, you know, the difference a week can make in regards to football, right? Just on this very podcast last week, you and I are saying, oh, Joe Flacco sucks. We're going to bet the under in the Jets-Browns game. It's going to be a lock, yada, yada. And now the, the the headlines in the New York Post are Flacco, like the savior, right? Like People are talking on podcasts. What if Flacco's three and one? How do you go back to Zach Wilson? Like what a difference a week makes. For the Mets, it's what a difference 24 hours makes. They have a game where they only get a couple hits. They only score one run. They lose four to one. They lose three to two, whatever it may be. And you're like, the world is ending. This offense is not legit. And then they have games like they did on Tuesday night where Alonzo goes yard. Lindor hits a grand slam. Now, yes, it was two big hits for all seven runs, but the juice is lively. So I don't know exactly how to feel day to day with this team, but overall, I'm still feeling positive enough that we are here for a serious playoff run. Pat, what are you feeling from a Mets vibe perspective outside what you talked about before with them just getting DeGrom and Scherzer to the playoffs? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're worried about the bullpen, right? Like that's been one of the biggest concerns the entire season, the lack of activity from from Epler at the deadline. I know I, I was pissed about it at first. Like Michael Givens, really the only addition to that bullpen. Um, and and just the last couple of weeks, you know, the the back-to-back lifeless performances against the Nats. You know, they struggled against Pittsburgh. They struggled against – they got swept by the Cubs. Like, watching those games, there was just several innings where it's like, dude, what is going on with this offense? They couldn't hit – they couldn't drive guys in, lifeless at bats. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely – I get where you're coming from. It has – it's definitely been cloudy. uh, But I think you rest – you don't rest, but you know, as a fan, I don't think there's really ever any rest for Mets fans, but you can feel confident in the fact that even as bad as this team played and look like dude, the Braves, like being on your ass now for like the entire year definitely plays a part in the stress and the anxiety. I know it does. Cause you're like, Holy shit. Like if we need the division, you thought you had it once you thought you had it twice. 
Now you don't know. The Braves still are winning at an absurd clip. Um, so, you know, as we're recording here on Tuesday night, the Mets come back and win, and the Braves also won again. So you still only have a one-game lead tied in the loss column. Um, but, you know, again, I think you just got to feel confident that uh, the schedule is still pretty weak for the Mets um, for the most part to finish the year, and you still get one more crack at Atlanta uh, at the end of the year. And the Mets own the season series, so if you line up that rotation to the point where I'm pretty sure you're going to see Scherzer, and I think you might see Max and Jake in that weekend series again, you got to feel good that if it comes down to the division that final weekend, you can win it. It's been a phenomenal year. I like the celebration. You know, I know people are saying, oh, they shouldn't even celebrate if they've just for making the playoffs. They should wait till they win the NL East. No, no, no. It's a great accomplishment. First year for Buck. You see how you saw how much it meant to him. It's been a great year. Final two weeks. And then again, once this team hits October, I'm more confident than them. And I, I would say 99% of Mets fans. Tell me if I'm wrong. They're going to the World Series. I think they're going to beat the Dodgers. So maybe it's me believing in this team and I'm going to double down. Even if they're down like 3-1 in the NLCS, I'm saying they're coming back and winning in seven. Uh, but I think this team's been special. I think this is a special year, and I think they're destined uh, for the fall classic. Yeah, and I think you do have a little more confidence in Mets fan- than Mets fans because you're not a Mets fan, right? Mets fans are weathered. We've been to these weird points of, of seasons before where everything seems so amazing and you're on this run and yada, yada, and then things crash down, right? Like, how many times have I got a text from a group chat saying, oh, look at that. The Braves are tied for the, and at least again, like over and over again, it's the same story. Yet the Mets have continued to fight back and win at basically that same ridiculous clip that the Braves have uh, minus that one stretch where the Mets were like 55 and 13 and the Braves just so happened to be 61 and seven or whatever the hell it was. Like it was (laughs) outrageous the pace they were on for a little while there. Uh, But there's one more game against Milwaukee on Wednesday. Then it's Oakland two games set with Miami, and then that Brave series you're talking about followed by Washington. Hopefully, they enter that Brave series with at least a two-game cushion because that's a very good possibility with Oakland and Miami ahead. Um, but take care of business right there. You know, show up. Who are you? Right. And Buck is really that dude. He deserves it. He wanted to celebrate a little bit, but he wanted to make sure that he understood and, and presented for his team as this is not it. This is just one step. I'll celebrate a little bit right now but this ain't it. They're at 95 wins. You're right. They should be proud. They should celebrate, but there's more to be done. So good stuff on the Mets and Yankees, Pat. So we just talked about baseball, but we cannot forget that the NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. People, If you don't have DraftKings, I don't know what you're doing. You got a chance to stack up those free bets, $200 to be specific. And if that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100% with bigger payouts than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? And what I like to do when you get this stepped up same game parlay, you get to boost the odds seriously. Don't. Don't make it too hard on yourself, right? Don't go for a normal plus 550, seven-leg parlay, long shot this, long shot that. If you get a regular same-game parlay down to like a minus 110, then you throw all those boosters on there, that's when you have a real chance to win. So to make it even sweeter, throw down the stepped-up same-game parlays once per game 
day, all season long. That's a beautiful, beautiful opportunity for you to increase that balance. So download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPM to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age, eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Why don't we move over to football talk, a little post-week two, week three preview. First, let's recap our picks, and I'll go through Shen's as I did last week. That's Mark Shen Lugan. He unfortunately had the worst week of the three of us, and the Moneyline parlays are not treating him kindly right now, Pat. So he lost on a Browns money line, Bengals money line parlay. Both legs lost there. Tough one. You know, the Bengals against the Cowboys and the Browns with the big comeback loss or comeback loss, whatever. They gave up the comeback to the Jets. He did hit on the Buccaneers and Rams money line. So at least he paired those together. Then the Panthers plus seven and a half hit. However, speaking of comebacks, the Cardinals took down the Raiders. He had the Raiders money line in that parlay. That didn't work out or that teaser. Then he went Bills money line, Colts money line. Colts got embarrassed by the Jaguars. That was a loss. And lastly, Ravens plus three and a half. Bears 14 and a half. Two more L's there. So Mark Shenlugan, one and four on week two, three and seven combined. Not quite the hot start. I would like to see where Mark goes this week with the picks. And I hope he sticks with what he's doing because, you know, these are types of things that get ironed out, hopefully, when you realize who are the teams you can really trust on those money lines and on the big spreads. Um, as for me, Pat, and I'll just go quickly so you can round it up. Another two and three week just missed uh, on a teaser with the Vikings plus eight. If that leg hit, I would have been three and two. I really wanted to get that first winning week of the year. However, did not work out. So I got the Buccaneers minus two and a half. That was my best bet of the week and I'm happy it hit. I was confident in it. It's the one I posted on, on Instagram and TikTok. So I'll take that one at least put a feather in my cap. Panthers plus seven and a half and Steelers plus eight worked out basically just as I planned. I was kind of betting against the Giants and the Patriots because I didn't think they were the type of team that can put people away and win by more than a touchdown. Turns out that was exactly the case. Niners covered their two and a half on the tees. Vikings did not just mention that. Jets and Browns under. Pat, what the hell, man? God damn, 39 and a half was the over, the over under. They scored 61 combined. What? The Jets and Browns, Flacco, resurrected from 2012. What's going on, bro? Oh, my God. And lastly, kicking myself a little bit, in my notes I had for my fifth pick, I said Commanders plus one or Jags plus three and a half. I chose the wrong one. I went Commanders plus one. I liked them there. They got beat up a little bit. Wentz tried to knock at the door, but the Lions were, were relentless, and that didn't go well for me. The Jaguars obviously shut out the Colts. So, Pat, oh, sorry, I was two and three. Four and six combined for week two. Um, Pat, what, what say you? Yeah, so, you know, you talk about the Jets and the Browns, too. Like, I'm not going to make excuses, but that was fucking bullshit. <laughs> that was – Like, seriously, though, like, what the what – the Bro, that game should have ended – okay, so maybe you don't have as much – you know, that much of an argument. Uh, it was 24-17, uh, so, yeah. I had, I had already lost mine, yeah. Yeah, but, dude – I have 24-17, and I see the Browns get the ball back with 2.30 left to go, needing basically one first down to end it. Um, two, give or take. They get the first down. Jets call at that point. They've called all three of their timeouts. So it's first and 10 at the Jets 28. You could take three knees. You know, they, you, I think they would at that point they'd have to kick a field goal. 
Uh, but yeah, so I mean, at that point, you're still, you know, you're still looking to get another first down. And boom, they do it. And they get first and 10 at the Jets 12, a minute 55 left. There are 202 left to go. The Jets have nothing. At this point, take three knees. You'd kick a field goal with like 19 seconds left to go up by 10, even if you don't want to get it blocked. I mean, look, Nick Chubb, I don't understand how he just doesn't go down. Just go down. Can I, can I enlighten something to you here? Please. Um, there, was a, there was a time in, I think, I, I'm trying to look it up. I don't know if I'll be able to find it. There was a time a couple years back, maybe three years ago, and I remember this super vividly because Nick Chubbs just so happened to be one of my running. fantasy running backs. No, he just so happened to be one of my fantasy running backs that year, and it was all the way back towards playoff time uh, for fantasy, that is. So it's towards the end of the regular season. The Browns were teetering to make a playoff spot and Chubb's having a beastly game. And I needed just a couple more points. I needed that touchdown. I needed that couple more points to win my fantasy matchup. And he takes a ball, breaks through the left side of the line. It's on the left sideline. I'll never forget it. I got to find it somewhere online. And he does fall down in bounds and he could have walked into the end zone. There was like 45 seconds left or a minute, 10 left in the clock or something like that. And he decided to sit down in inbounds didn't score and everyone's like, Oh, who cares? You could have just ran it in. You would have scored yada, yada, this, yada, yada. And he was just like, you know what, man, you gotta do, you gotta do. I, I, I did what I had to do to try to win the game. And it is what it is. And I wonder if that's in his head. Like he got all that shit from fantasy owners, from media for no reason, from his own numbers that he could have got another touchdown three years ago. And then watching that I had deja vu. I was like, God damn, I don't even own him in fantasy this year. And he ran right in because he knows it won't even matter. It's not like the Jets are going to come back in this one. And then look what happened. Yo, it was crazy. Well, bro, is it, are you talking about the scenario? I saw the highlight on Twitter today. It was them versus Houston. And I think it was to hit the over. Oh. And he runs out of bounds at the one-yard line. And I think the Browns needed out. And that was yes. it. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, he literally ran, jetted out of bounds at like the two-yard line, I think. Um, so, yeah. I, dude, I don't know. But either way. Even then, like if I had, I had 45 and a half. So that, that broke it when he scored to make it 30, 17, even then, like, imagine if I like took two more points and I had like 49 and then they, the Browns totally fucking fall asleep on defense and Joe Flacco hits Corey Daly, he walks into the end zone. Like even then from just a standpoint, we're talking about, you know, if you want to transition here, I'll finish the picks, but into these collapses. Like, dude, it's a two-score game. You Don't you think the first play and the second play is they're going to try to throw, take a shot? How the fuck did the Browns let that happen? It is beyond me. It was delirious. And then, of course, like, I was like, dude, they're not going to get – they're going to get the onside kick. They're going to recover it. And once they did, I knew it was over. So, yeah, just from a betting standpoint, uh, I felt potentially tortured in that one. Um, and, of course, you know, Pittsburgh and New England, not only did they hit the teased under, they hit the under. So, you know, there you said, like, you know, you could take one or the other, but you feel good. I like your process. You feel, you know, you feel good giving yourself six, seven points. You know, look, I easily could have taken the, the Jets and the Browns like you did, and I would have been just as angry, but, I mean, it still hurts. And then, you know, there's being on a wrong side, Pete, and there's being on a wrong side. Titans plus 17. Holy shit, dude. They got massacred. I hate myself. They got massacred. So yeah. let's just let's what, move on. What did I say? What did I say? Wait, after you gave your whole spiel about the Titans keeping it close and all that stuff on the Picks podcast, I was like, you know what? You went through all those points and it sounded so good, but they could still lose by thirty. <laughs> they could still lose by thirty, and boy, they basically did. They lost by thirty-four. 
that was that was tough. The offense for Tennessee, man. Wow, that was that was rough to watch. And bro, I was trying to be sharp. Like, well, not trying to be. Like, I felt like it was a good sharp pick. I was like, all right, they're gonna bounce back. I trust in Vrabel. I trust that this offense can run the ball. Derrick Henry couldn't do shit outside of that first drive where yep. he runs for the touchdown. So let's just move on from that one. That put me at 0-2. Bengals, Raiders, money line. I got no complaints there. They both lose. If it was only the Raiders, I could freak out about that. But the Bengals losing a Cooper rush, my God. Uh, and then the two that hit, I finished off strong. Jameis threw his pick. He threw three picks. Um, and the Falcons, which looked like that was in trouble at one point, not only they cover the 24-and-a-half that I took, they almost win the goddamn game. They, the Falcons almost collapsed. And then the last one, the Packers teased play. My favorite play, the only one I did, and it hits easily, minus four and a half and under 51 and a half. So two and three, look, take your lumps. Take my lumps early. We got to improve. We're going to get better. Uh, but I'm sitting at three and seven on the year. Not, not good. No bueno start. Yeah, and we're at that point of the season still where it's like a batting average in the first month of baseball where you can have the one good week and it really flips the script, right? Like you go all of a sudden, you go four and one next week, Pat, and you're looking at uh, at seven and eight and you're you're knocking back at the door of 500. So we're still early enough in the season where one good week can make a big difference, but we're waiting for a winning week from any of us. Like I was close. I had the Vikings plus eight on Monday night. If that hit, I would have snagged one, but it's okay. Like I, I talk to people about betting all the time and you can't just lose everything you started with you can't say oh i'm completely ripping this page out of the book i'm going to write a completely new game plan here you're just going to find yourself in different holes you're not going to be in the same hole you'll just be in a different one you're better off sticking with the process that's what i'm going to try to do and you know i hope you and i hold each other accountable on that front right like all of a sudden i see you doing stuff i've never seen you do before i'm going to ask you pat like What's your thought process here? Like, why are you doing something so out of character? I've, I've seen you do these bets for two years now, you know, and same for me. You know, if you see me not bet on the Vikings for like four weeks, you're going to ask me if I'm okay, of course. <laughs> He's like, I'm not bet on the Vikings. They hurt me though. Hurt me though on Monday. It's okay. All right. Those are the picks for week two. We are going to do a quick little recap here of week two. Obviously, already on to Wednesday. So we'll get to the preview of week three in a second. But the comebacks is the story here for week two. It's just one after another. If you're watching Red Zone, which I was, it was almost hard to keep up with these comebacks. You're watching the Jets score, and now they're on an onside kick. You got the Dolphins screaming back from down 21, and it's just left and right madness and mayhem while the Bengals can't score, and the Cowboys are going to get a win with Cooper Rush. It, it was mayhem for real, Pat. So when all these comebacks were taking place and you were you know, taking in all of the stuff that was going down. Did you like believe what you were seeing? Was there anyone in particular that you saw happening and you were like, wow, this is really about to go down. You already touched on the jets, but any of the other situations, I know you were invested in that Raiders game. And uh, I know you obviously tuned in to Tua and Baltimore. So what jumped out to you in those two manners, one team that's super impressed or super disappointed. I mean, dude, like you stat like one of them alone this weekend, it would have been like, wow, how do you let that happen? And the fact that Dolphins, Ravens, Jets, Browns is, is like happening at the exact same time. And then you stack the Raiders collapse on top of that at the late window. At that point, you're like, you're like teetering on exhaustion from watching red zone for seven straight hours. And you're like, hold You're like, dude, is this actually going to happen? Like we, we're going to do this for a third time today. Uh, it was pretty embarrassing for all three parties involved. 
uh, the Ravens, I mean, that was a 21-point lead in the fourth quarter. That was 35-14. That game was over. That game was over, dude. And all of a sudden, the Ravens secondary literally just melts, like totally melted down. I know they had some injuries yet again. I know especially late in that game they took some injuries to the, to the secondary and to the defense, but, dude. And, it, I, I mean, again, I'll, I'm giving two a credit. Obviously, had a good game. I, tough to take away when you throw six touchdowns and 470 yards. But, bro, like me, you, and Shen Lugin were going at it in the group chat over the weekend. He underthrew two of those touchdown passes. And, like, Tyreek Hill literally had to stop dead in his tracks to catch the one and nobody was still even near him. Um, and that and there was like a there was another duck pass in one of those. And I saw on Twitter like somebody's like, oh, I flipped Tua's uh Tua around yeah. to throw righty. Look how impressive. <laughs> no, it doesn't look any more impressive to me just because he, you flipped around to a righty. Like, oh, to, we only think Tua is bad because he's a lefty. No, his arm's not that good, and I'm standing by it. But yeah, I mean, I'm gonna take my lumps in that one and we'll, uh, with that take as well, because he threw for 470 and six touchdowns. I will say though. I did not expect it to look as natural flipped righty as it did. I, for some reason in my head, when it was flipped righty, like I saw the caption to the video before I watched the video, I was like, oh, this is going to look so weird. And it didn't look that weird. I don't know what it means, but it didn't look nearly as weird as I expected it. On the Tua front, Pat, one of my predictions from the preseason that I did was he's going to look really good against bad teams. He's going to look bad against teams with a pass rush. When he was rushed in that game, he looked better than I thought. There were a couple plays where it looked like that old Tua who has that little special awareness in the pocket to make something happen. But this, besides that point, the classic Tua is nobody who is a Tua backer is going to criticize him for the underthrown Tyreek bombs because they worked. He was so open. They were touchdowns. But then like the little window that he finds with Mike Gasicki over the middle on the dig in between three defenders that he pinpoints something like this. It's impressive. And everyone's like, yeah, look, see, that's what we're talking about. There's the accuracy. He's that guy. He's that guy. And it's like, you can't have it both ways, right? You can't turn a blind eye to the short, deep pass and you can't, uh, you know, wet your pants for the freaking tight window ball, 10 yards down the field. Both of the things are true, right? The deep ball worked out. I think you give a tip of the cap to Mike McDaniel for what he did to get that going because what they do is set up all that deep stuff with a plethora of short game, RPO, and running that just wears out a defense. And when you have guys like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle catching the ball at five with a chance to make it 15 before you blink, it gets harder and harder to sit back on that deep stuff. And even on some of those deep balls, two or through them quick. Right. So he can throw the ball 40 yards down the field on a two step drop, three step drop, and Tyreek's going to get there. Jalen Waddle's going to get there. So it's very bizarre watching it. It's so different from other offenses we see, I feel like, at this point, but it makes a lot of sense. I walked away impressed with Mike McDaniel and reminded of what the talent of a Tyreek and Jalen Waddle do for a quarterback who, in reality, is probably somewhere in the mid tier. Yeah, I mean that was pretty perfectly said. I can't agree. I can't disagree with you there. And you're right. I, I mean, again, I said I got to give him credit when you when you throw for 470 and six touchdowns. You're obviously going to have some impressive throws. And you're right. As as 
underthrown as some of those deep balls were. Yeah, that one where he fit into Gasicki was great. It was great. It was a fucking great throw. So And, he, and even it, like some of the weird stuff like that Waddle touchdown at the end, like the decision to throw that ball up in the air is, is, a, is a decision that most people don't think of, right? Like you almost see him throw that ball and you're like, ah, he overthrew it. Like, no, he did that on purpose. That was very cerebral, right? Like it's very bizarre watching him right now. I feel like I'm in a glass case of, case of emotions when I watch Tua because I don't know what's happening half the time. It's so different from so many other offenses that I see at this point. Do you feel that way or is it me just kind of like overthinking Tua a little bit? No, I think you're right because I, I've seen him the last two years and I'm like, dude, this guy can't throw the ball down the field. But, you know, again, we, we've made – I mean, we – you know, we made – people cry about making excuses for Daniel Jones. People cried like, yeah, he didn't have the – he was dealt a little bit of a shitty hand with all the OCs and, um, you know, before last year not having Waddle. But even then, last year, I mean, he was getting benched for Fitzpatrick. So, like, I think all the criticism was absolutely fair. I'm going to stick to it. I'm, I know you said, uh, you know, he's probably going to look bad against teams of the past rushing good defense. I still think that. I'm not letting one game – where he goes off, changed my mind. I know there's still deficiencies, but yeah, he got to shut everybody up for, for a day, especially in that – he got to shut everybody up with that fourth quarter. Um, again, I think a lot of that was absolutely brutal defense, pass coverage from the Ravens, but you're right. The game plan – you know, look, they still trusted the process of running the ball 16 times with Mostert and Edmonds, grinding away some yards when they could so that, you know, at least it made the pass a little bit more dangerous. And then, yeah, a lot of the short passes. And then finally, they needed it. They needed to take some deep shots and throw the ball down the field. And it, and it worked. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, either way, you know, something that got totally overlooked. And I know you'd love to talk about it. We don't have to talk about it too much in detail because we have other games. But, you know, all, all in the middle of that, Lamar Jackson has a, a fucking MVP style game, man. So, oh my God. Really, dude, it was crazy because. You're, you know, I'm sending gifts of Lamar doing his little dance with his arms like this. How you doing? And and all of a sudden, like you're you're starting to see the score. Like, wait, hold on, wait, it's 14 now. Okay, it's 14 now. It's fine, it's fine. Oh, it's seven now. Oh my god, wait, is this gonna happen? And it's not like Lamar did anything in particular to lose that game because he really didn't. There was no big mistake. There was no like pick six that the Dolphins are prone to actually getting with the defense they have. It was just all of a sudden, a couple stops, failed fourth down conversion, and boom, Dolphins are right on their ass. Lamar was special, though, as well. He really was. Uh, but you're right. We, we're not going to talk about that right now. Many more weeks to talk about Lamar. Talk about your Raiders and former uh, fan favorite Cardinals, Pat. What type of whirlwind was watching that game, being a Raiders better, a Raiders backer for the season, and being like a long-lost lover of the Arizona Cardinals? Well, bro, that one happened. It happened the quickest in terms of the possession, right? Because it was still 23-7 with like – you know, by the time Arizona scored the first one, there was, what, nine minutes left? So, for the most part, 20 nothing at half, and even that 23-7 with, like, 10 minutes left, they have the ball, they're starting to drive. You're like, nah, this is – they look like – they've looked like absolute shit for seven and a half quarters now. Uh, no, there's no way. And then all of a sudden, boom, touchdown, two-point conversion, touchdown, two-point conversion. But I say it happened so fast, yet it happened so slow because how many, you know – down and goal to go situations did they have how many before they finally punched one in before uh they finally get the two-point conversion and then the last drive 18 plays 18 plays 73 yards because it felt like there was three fourth downs they converted there was all the you know little holding calls that gave them a fresh set of downs there was all of this so um 
I think that's on McDaniels. And I said he was ready to have – that's on the coach, I think, maybe more so than any of those other games because the other games, this, the Ravens secondary just totally broke down, right? Like I'm sure John Harbaugh is saying, holy fuck, can we like prevent the big play? And they just melted down on the field. Same thing with the Browns, the secondary not recovering an onside kick. I don't blame that on Kevin Stefanski. I don't blame the uh, the loss so much so on on uh, on John Harbaugh as much as I blame this loss on Josh McDaniels. And I said I thought he was ready for the, the head coaching job. He wasn't ready with Denver, but man, the play calling from him late in that game was so vanilla. It was so terrible. You could tell they were actually excruciatingly trying not to lose. And when you play like that and you give Kyler Murray, even without DeAndre Hopkins, even though he hasn't been great, he hadn't been great through seven quarters of the, of the first two games of the season, you give him a little bit of a window and you give him a little bit of a hope and anything can happen. So I thought the play calling was terrible. I thought the way they managed that game being up 20 to nothing was terrible. They didn't, they didn't step on their throats. And, uh, you know, Again, Carr didn't play great in the second half. They didn't play great defense, but I blame that loss. Out of those three miserable chokes, I blame the coach most especially with McDaniels and the Raiders. It's interesting, that one, because the Cardinals have been surrounded by negativity at the offseason into week one, and it's like, all right, this team might be bad, right? Like That's literally what people were saying. It's like, oh, this team might actually be the worst team in their division and one of the worst teams in the league. Like that's something that people are really saying. And the way the defense looks against Kansas city, you're like, Oh my God, this could be really ugly. The Raiders can do the same thing. Now it looked like they were on their way to that, that record there to just keep putting points on the Cardinals. But you can't, like you said, you can't really completely take out Kyler Murray of the equation because he is that guy. He is somebody who has been looked at as an MVP for eight weeks of the season, right? Like he never put 16 or 17 together yet. But for eight weeks of the season last year, it's like, yo, Kyler Murray, MVP, why not? He's doing it. They're winning. So you can't just say, oh, the Cardinals are going to be absolute trash. It's probably not fair to a quarterback that, I don't know, 75% of teams would trade up for, like would switch with right now, right? Like 70% of teams would switch with Kyler Murray right now, possibly. He's that good. He's that talented. Maybe a little less than that, but it's that serious. So I'm with you. It was weird. And McDaniels has to figure out the balance with Derek Carr. We've talked about Carr and Kirk Cousins in the past of how they're at their best when they're aggressive and you live with the mistakes that come along with it. You can't allow Carr, you can't allow Kirk Cousins to be too conservative. That's when they get into trouble and that's where you turn three and outs into advantageous positions for the opposite team. So Pat, let me ask you this question off this. We're talking about the Raiders already. I didn't mention the Broncos yet, but I'll bring them in. As another, uh, actually, no, they're one and one. Sorry, never mind. It doesn't really fit the mold here. But of the 0 and 2 teams, Pat, Raiders and Bengals probably come to mind. Who do you have more faith in now? Because we all know the statistic. Everybody comes out and say you have less than a 10% chance when you start the season 0 and 2 to make the playoffs. It's only happened once since the last six years or something like that. So now that one of your teams that you've backed, the Raiders, another team uh, defending AFC champion in the Cincinnati Bengals, both 0 and 2. Which team do you have more faith in to write the script? Uh, it's the Raiders, right? And it's not just me doubling down yet again on them. It's the fact that when you look at the Raiders versus the Bengals, Derek Carr 
and the Raiders have lost to Herbert and the Chargers. And you said it, a lot of negativity around the Cardinals to begin the season. But they're still a pretty damn good team, right? They're still a pretty darn good team. Just uh, So Derek Carr's lost to Justin Herbert and the Chargers and the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray, albeit in choking, pathetic fashion. But still, you look at the Bengals, Joe Burrow in his first two weeks has now lost to Cooper Rush and the Cowboys. And in week one, he lost to Mitch Trubisky and the Steelers. Yeah. You know, again, it's more than about the quarterback. You and I both know that. But think about that. And and where he's running through the AFC, he's beating Tannehill and the one-seed Titans. He's beating Mahomes and the Chiefs. He's going on this dream run. It's Burrow magic. Now in the first two weeks, he loses to Trubisky and Cooper Rush. And even then, outside of the quarterbacks, the teams aren't very that aren't that very good. Steelers have a pretty good defense. They got Mike Tomlin, but the offense is nothing special, even if you put a different quarterback under there. Right? Like I feel like we've been waiting for Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool to like break out and be this duo that that the Dolphins have, that some that the Vikings have with Jefferson and Thielen. But it, it hasn't been. And the fundamental flaw right now with Cincinnati is they improved that offensive line, you thought, on paper, and they have been even worse than last year. He is under siege every single time he drops back, and it's affecting his mental game plan every time. I feel like he's getting he's starting to get happy feet in the pocket. His he doesn't know like what to do with his footing. This does not look like Joe Burrow. It doesn't help that he has one of the worst offensive lines through two games I've ever seen, even after they improved it. But, dude, I mean, you could be saying, you know, they, they just need to get some reps together. It's 0-2. It's 0-2. And the, <laughs> I'm not going to say the Jets are going to beat the Bengals, dude. But, look, if they don't have the offensive line figured out, who can they beat? Who can they beat right now? So, Burrow doesn't look good because the offensive line has been so terrible. Um, and the defense, yeah, I mean, they, they've, played, they've played pretty good. But they haven't seen a special offense yet. So, you know, this, this Bengals team in the AFC, especially in the AFC North, you got some decent offenses between Baltimore and, I mean, look, we all like to crap on Jacoby Brissett. So, so far, the Browns have put up a lot of points in two games. A lot of points. They've put up a lot of points. So I really worry for Cincinnati, and I think Vegas is going to be fine, not just because of the schedule they've played. Um, you know, again, it's hard to say I trust them after that choke loss, uh, but I believe in Carr, the offense. They, they need to be better in the red zone. Uh, but again, you give them two tough opponents so far, the schedule is going to get a lot, a lot easier uh, starting in the middle of October, um, really, and basically through the rest of the season. Um, I know you said they've got one of the toughest schedules, but I just have more faith. Now, look, if McDaniels turns out to be a shithead coach all year long and he's not ready to be a head coach, then that would disprove my theory. But I got way more, th- uh, way more faith the Raiders are still going to make the playoffs. Are you calling him a shithead coach or a shit head coach? Um, <laughs> I think both, both would apply after the coaching display I saw in that game on Sunday, the hard hitting questions from Pete Kennedy on subway sports talk, just trying to make sure your words are uh, properly commod or apostrophed or whatever the hell it has to be. Uh, the Raiders have the Titans and speaking of O2 two teams, they also fit the bill of and two teams with playoff aspirations. Their offense looks abysmal, uh, really, really ugly performance against the bills. Perhaps that's a really good team, but they looked bad against the giants too. Nervous about them running the ball. I think the Raiders have to win that game in Tennessee. Obviously, right? that's a pretty obvious have to for the Raiders there. But 
you know, the Titans for as bad as they looked on Monday night, they're not a slouch team. They're not a slouch franchise. The Raiders are only minus two in Tennessee. That's a game that has to be had. But more interestingly, Pat, is the, the Bengals coming to New Jersey to play the Jets. Opened at six and a half, now down to four and a half. Part of that has to do, I'm sure, with the, the Jets' little hype train that happens after their comeback win and putting 31 points on the board. But in the reality of this line and in the reality of this matchup, we talked about it going into week two. The Jets' defense has some players on it. They have some guys who can make Joe Burrow's life difficult. We're talking seven sacks in week one, six sacks in week two. Who's to say the Jets aren't going to be all around Joe Burrow again in week three? Obviously, that pace of seven sacks a game is not going to hold up, we think. But we've seen him take hits like crazy in years past. Even last year, when he was awesome and when they made their run, he was sacked 51 times last year. 51. That's a lot. Uh, that's a lot of hits. That's a lot of uh, just injury-type injury plays that can happen to this guy. And uh, yeah, 51 sacks last year. That's something that has to be fixed. He is the franchise. He needs to be protected. No one wants to blame Joe Burrow right now because everyone loves Joe Burrow. He has one of the highest Q ratings in all of sports right now. But there's going to be a point in the season if they don't start ripping off wins, especially against lesser quarterbacks and lesser teams, there's going to be a moment where we say, what is happening here? You have weapons. Your O-line supposed to be better. Is it the coach? Does the coach go down in flames? Does the GM go down in flames? Does Joe Burrow start to get flack? I'm not sure what happens, but something has to change here. So I'm interested to see how the Jets show up at home against the Bengals in week three. Just really uh, quickly, I think the biggest thing that you're going to see is that the Jets' run defense has uh, it can be had. They're vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, Cleveland gashed them. 37 carries, 184 yards. Chubb broke a couple of big ones, especially late in the second half, and you can see that Jets' defense starting to get tired. Um you know, Joe Mixon had a great year last year, too. Let's not forget that. That Bengals offense was was very balanced. It wasn't just Burrow, right? Like, Mixon had a career year, right? He was setting he, – he, at one point, he was looking like he might he might come close to, like, 1,700, 1,800 yards. Like, he had a monster season. Um, so, I think they're going to have a lot more success running the football uh, on Sunday than they have in the last two weeks. Running against a very, very good Pittsburgh front seven and then a also – pretty damn good Cowboys front seven because Parsons was in the backfield um, all day long. So I think you're going to see them run the ball, a lot more success with Mixon. That's going to set up the pass. That's going to get the connection with Higgins and Chase. Um, you know, maybe I'm blindly backing that the Bengals will bounce back at least in week three. I think the, the data still shows you that even though the offensive line has struggled, they should be able to take care of the Jets. But long-term, I'm, I'm still very concerned about them. Yeah, same. And, you know, Pat, we talk about this a lot when we go through our picks of the idea of Vegas trying to get you with a line, right? <clears throat> I obviously think about that more than than you and Mark probably about the the sketchiness of certain lines that I see. And I'm seeing minus four and a half, and I try to put myself in the mind of your average Joe football fan who logs into DraftKings on Sunday morning and who's signing up for their survivor pools and whatnot. And they're seeing Bengals at Jets and they're saying 0-2. Oh, there's no way. There's no way. Is that too easy of a way to look at it? That no way the Bengals go 0-3 against the Jets. Four and a half. Yeah, right. They're gonna win by 10, right? Like, is that the easy way to look at this game? Like, I don't I don't know. I, I'm probably staying far, far away from that game. 
in every possible way. I'm not teasing it. I'm not touching it over under. I'm not even coming close to it because God forbid it's 19 to 17 late in the fourth quarter. I'm going to feel like I got egg all over my face because we have seen these issues week one and week two. So until we see it from Cincinnati, I'm not ready to say they're ready to dominate somebody. I think what they need is to get out early. Like they need to just put a pounding on somebody and get up seven, nothing, get up 10, 14, nothing in the first, second quarter. And, and then maybe with a lead, they can really lean on that run game, but you're right. They got to hit Joe Mixon 20, 25 times a game somehow, whether it be in the air a couple times or on the ground. Uh, but don't sell that Brownies rush, rush offense short. I think they'll gas just about everyone on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. But uh, I said, I said at one point, <clears throat> excuse me. I said before, at one point it looked like Mixon was going to run for 1800 yards. I meant like 1500. That was, that was a total exaggeration. Oh, all still, purpose, though. He was there. Yeah, no, but um, yeah, no, look, I mean, Cleveland's run offense is phenomenal. Chubb and Hunt, yeah, you're right. They're going to gash a lot of people. But the Bengals' rush offense, their offense was so balanced. It wasn't like it was just Burrow making Burrow magic with Chase and Higgins and Uzama, the tight end, um, and Boyd. You know, that run, that run game was great, and it hasn't been good so far in the first two weeks. So, you know, we ask why uh, Burrow's struggling, why that offensive line has been so bad. Well, when they're not getting – when they're only getting three yards a pop from, from Mixon and, you know, they're not going to lean on Samaje Pirine too much, so it's mostly going to be Mixon – uh, yeah, the, the offensive line, then people know that, hey, they're, Burrow's dropping back to pass, second down, third down, because it's second and eight, third and seven, rather than, you know, third and manageable, where you have to be, you know, you have to be uh, honest to the run. So I think they're going to bounce back. And, you know, I know we, we could play ifs for any game, any week, but how should that Browns game have ended? It should have been a 14-point win. Exactly. So we're having a much different conversation about the Jets probably if Flacco doesn't get the chance to have that miracle comeback. And again, that first touchdown, I could have thrown it. You could have thrown it. Corey Davis was wide open. Nobody was covering him. Right. Uh, so that coupled with an onside kick, the Jets should be 0-2. I still don't think they're that great of a team. Uh, I think you know, you're looking at probably one of my picks there this week. Yeah, and, and the way you described it, it makes me want to pick the Bengals. It does. I just want to force myself to stay away and just see the Bengals look like the Bengals again before I do anything with them, before I even touch it. But th they should win by 14. They should also win this game by a healthy margin against the Jets, right? Can we really expect Flacco to have magic twice in a row? I'm not, I'm not banking on it. I'm not banking on it. But if it's an ugly 17-14 game, I'm going to be so pissed at myself as well. So I, I don't know what I'm doing there. We're going to get our picks later in the week, of course. Uh, last thing before we look forward to week three, I just want to touch on the Giants super quick here, Pat. They're 2-0. We jokingly, kind of jokingly, kind of seriously talked about the prospects of the Giants getting to 4-0. Well, they're at 2-0 right now, Pat. They beat the Titans by one. They beat the Panthers by three. Less fluky against the Panthers, I would say, despite not being like a super commanding victory, right? They just got the job done. The Cowboys come up on Monday night for the Giants in week three, followed by the Bears. Bears are a disaster. The Cowboys somehow won. Pat, how joking or serious do we want to be about the prospects of the Giants going 3-0 and or, God forbid, 4-0? and I mean, bro, we said it last week. Like, we said it after the game on Sunday. It could happen. It very well could happen. I'll say this, to make it short and sweet about the Giants so far, they aren't 2-0 
under any other of their previous head coaches. They're not. They're not 2-0. They're probably 0-2 under any of the previous head coaches. Um, so, look, is it Dayball that makes all the difference? No. But going for two against Tennessee, the way they were able to finish that game, Gano being an absolute stud of a kicker, like, yeah, like certain things play a, lot, a pretty big role in that. But that being said, I don't think there's any shot in hell the Giants are 2-0 with any of the previous head coaches. I think there is a palpable difference with Dayball. I think the way that they managed that game down the stretch against Carolina was huge. Um, so, yeah, look, I'm not discrediting Dallas after what they did to Cincinnati, even as bad as the Bengals were with the offensive line. But we know that if Cincinnati's struggling to put up points against, uh, against the Dallas front seven and the Giants have only put up, what, 40 through two weeks, it's probably going to be a low-scoring game, and we know anything can happen. Um, and they've, you've got to tr- the Giants have to win the turnover battle. Right. If like if we're talking about field positioning being a big part of this game, like it's a fucking Big Ten college football game, field <laughs> positioning is going to play a part. Special teams is going to play a part. The Giants are going to have to play a well-coached, well-rounded game. But so far through two games, dude, they haven't played two great opponents. They haven't played two great games, but they've got two wins. So I think that speaks uh, a lot for how, how this team is different than uh, the Giants of the years past. Do you know who the Giants' leading wide receiver is right now? My guess is that it's Richie James. That's his name, right? Yep. <laughs> I, for some reason, I want to say Reggie James. Yeah, Reggie would, would, would sound cool too. Richie James, 110 yards on 10 catches, throwing Shepard right behind with 105. No one else has 50 yards in the air, by the way. So Daniel Jones, 22 of 34, buck 76, five yards per, per completion or whatever, per, per average there. Not very good. Saquon Barkley, week three, uh, week two, 21 carries, 72 yards as a 3.4 average. Offense wasn't very good. Offense still has loads and loads of question marks. However, if you eliminate the turnovers, like you said, win the turnover battle, they have a chance to be in these games, and the defenses look pretty solid. So, goddamn, we'll see what happens. I imagine Micah Parsons making Daniel Jones' life hell, like he has uh, Joe Burrow, like he uh, he didn't really get to do it too much the week prior, even though he still – got his licks on Tom Brady in week one. So I, I don't know, man, uh, w- with that game, we're looking at, uh, the, the cowboy, I'm sorry, the giants being favored minus two and a half. That's basically a pick them neutral site, but it's at the Giants, So it's minus two and a half for New York, man. <laughs> I don't know what to say about the giants right now. I have giants fans in my life telling me that I'm a hater that I'm putting negative energy out in the world, not expecting them to win betting against them. I'm like, well, I didn't bet against them to lose the game. I just took the Panthers plus seven and a half. And it hit, so I feel fine about that. Uh, I don't know. I think it's possible they can be 4-0, and I think it's more likely that they're still not a very good football team when they're 4-0, if they're 4-0. Yeah, that doesn't make you a hater, dude. Like, um, shameless plug for Bobby Skinner and Talking Giants. Um, he does some great video breakdowns, and I was watching some of the stuff he was posting about Daniel Jones, just like keying in. You know, when you're watching Red Zone, and, and, and for me, I had the, the two laptops set up too. I had Giants, Jets on the laptops. I had the red zone on the TV. Um, so I'm trying to follow all three, but you don't key on on certain things. And like some of the throws Daniel Jones couldn't make, he had Bellinger wide open on a post route going into the end zone. He had Kadarius Tony wide open two plays. Yep. The one, the one uh, like awesome. out towards the sideline, yeah. crossing to the sideline. Didn't even look at him. Like, dude, yeah. he's still making some really, really bad decisions on guys that are wide open. Like I understand you, you don't go through your progression, like once or twice during a game, like it's so many times for him. So yeah, the offense still has a lot of work to do. Um, 
But yeah, very good chance they could be 4-0, man. Very good <laughs> chance they could be 4-0. <laughs> and then they'll see the Packers in week five and lose 41-3. to And then it'll be like, oh yeah, no, the Giants still not very good. Not very good. All right, let's do a little preview here of week two, and then we'll wrap up this episode here. So, Pat, do you want to start us off with one matchup that jumped off the board that you're excited to watch uh, this Thursday, Sunday, or Monday, for that matter? Well, I think the obvious ones, the Packers and the Bucks, right? Primetime billing, Fox, 425. I, I guess primetime's always at night, but you know what I mean. Like the primetime early window is always the 4 o'clock. Uh, 425 on Fox. You know, this was this is going to be a fantastic matchup because we have so many questions. I feel like we got to ask about the the Buccaneers offense because they haven't done well. Obviously, you're going to have the Brady retirement shit thrown in your face all year long. So you're going to hear about that. And then, you know, Rodgers looked terrible in week one again. They looked terrible. And then they were able to bounce back against a team that they always kick the shit out of in Chicago. So a lot of question marks about both teams going into this one. Um, and. You know, this is going to be – it should be a really great game. I think it's going to be really low scoring, right? Like, I was watching Sunday night, and in, this happened. There was a change, really, with this – with Green Bay and the way LaFleur started calling plays, I would say, around week five or six of last year, where they really committed to the run. They really severely committed to the run, where I feel like they are just as much of a running team, if not more, than they are with Rodgers throwing the ball – um, they want Jones, they want Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon to touch the ball. They could combine 30 times every game. And they're just, they're just gashing Chicago who look, you know, again, the bears long, long ways away from the defense they had five, six years ago with Khalil Mack. But I mean, dude, it's still pretty good defense. Um, and they were gashing them five, six yards a pop every time they ran the ball. So, uh, it's going to be exciting to see how their offense plays out against Tampa Bay's defense, who historically the last two years, you can't run for shit against. Um, and then again, Rogers with the, you know, Sammy Watkins, Cobb and Lazard as his top three guys, you know, what are they going to look like throwing the ball against a, what should be another phenomenal effort from the Bucks secondary. Uh, so I, I can't wait. I think it's going to be the, probably the most defensive battle you'll ever see between Rogers and Brady. And I think it's going to give us a true glimpse of who is the all around better team right now through three weeks. And the way they used Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon was so awesome. There was the one play in particular. Uh, Aaron Jones was lined up in the slot, came through on that little pop motion. They did that little uh, pass. It's like a little two-handed shovel pass kind of on the crosser. You guys know what I'm talking about, the jet sweep action. The pop and, pass. Yeah, the pop pass. There you go. And A.J. Dillon's out to lead block, truck somebody on the way to the end zone. Aaron Jones waltzes in. And Aaron Rodgers looks over to the floor, like points at him like, hey, Good job, coach. Like, that was it. That was a good play right there. And the fact that they have the willingness this early to say, hey, these are our two best players, and it's not even close. We're getting them on the field together. One of them will be on the field at all times, and that is our ticket. That's our best option to score points. I'm so excited to see what those two guys do. I happen to have investment in both of them in fantasy. There's even a team. I have both of them on the team. I have either Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon in three of my five teams, and one of them I have both. So I'm invested there, and I'm impressed watching them. I hope Dylan can can find his way to being a little bit more explosive occasionally, but that's not really his role. That's Aaron Jones's role to be that chunk uh, play guy, and Dylan just banging people. He's the bruiser. The yeah, bruiser. Really I love it. It's, it's impressive to watch. Um, the game I want to call out, though, is a 1 o'clock hour game, and it is the juggernaut Buffalo Bills at the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins have so much hype right now. 
deservingly so. Good win in week one, not a great win. Great comeback win in week two. People are talking about the Miami Dolphins. The Buffalo Bills are minus five and a half at Miami. The Bills are going to be a touchdown favorite against almost all opponents. The fact that this is close is showing some sort of respect to the Dolphins. That defense is legit. It's their first big test for Buffalo from a defensive standpoint. And I'm pumped to see what happens here. If Tua shows up in this game and throws for 350 and three touchdowns, doesn't turn the ball over, even if they lose, that could show us something about who the Miami Dolphins are and and who the Bills are going to be this year. If they, without much resistance, beat this Dolphins team, that idea of the Bills being the number one true contender, juggernaut, no one's going to beat them, is serious. And if the Dolphins hang around, they might as well be chalked into the playoffs as well because if they can hang with the Bills, they're going to beat just about everybody in this AFC, except uh, for the AFC West teams, who I don't know if they even play this year. I don't think they do. Maybe uh, maybe just a little bit. So I'm pumped for that game. I'm pumped to see what Tua does against the Bills' pass rush, which is revitalized and looking savage. That defensive line and linebacker crew in Buffalo is serious, and this is going to say a lot about these two teams, Bills being the juggernaut, Dolphins maybe sneaking up to an actual contender in the AFC, not just a wild card hopeful. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think those are the two best games of the day. You know, maybe a little miscellaneous would be Rams-Cardinals. If Kyler, if they can kind of show some of the magic they had late in that game. Uh, Patriots-Ravens, I think, is going to be good. And then uh, you you get some desperation mode. You get desperation mode from Indianapolis, 0-2 at home, 0-1-1 at home against the Chiefs. Uh, look for a desperate uh, Colts team. That one where it's like, dude, everything is screaming. Take Kansas City minus six and a half. But, you know, desperation mode. Team you back you see it. Six and a half. Why just six and a half against this team that was just shut out by Jacksonville, right? Yep. Six and a half. Doesn't that seem a little low? Backed up against the wall. A little low to me. You never know what can happen there. Bengals are in desperation mode. Um, and then the other team that I think in desperation mode, not that they had really playoff hopes, but the Panthers, 0-2, at home, chance to win the game against the Saints. Jameis doesn't look 100%. That, you know, that Saints offense, Kamara, if Kamara's out again, who knows? So a lot of good games to look forward to again. And Thursday night, Pete, I know we're doing our picks for – we always do our picks for Sunday and beyond, but I'm taking this, the Patty Boyle – same game teaser for Thursday night. I'm telling you that now. This spread, I think, has actually come down a full point already. I don't know why it was even at five and a half to begin with, uh, but I'm getting Pittsburgh plus 10 or plus 10 and a half and under like 45, under 46, whatever I get at even odds. And that if that doesn't hit, then I've lost all faith. <laughs> yeah. You're ho- the only thing that's nerve-wracking about that is you're hoping for Mitch Trubisky to score points because uh, – that's the only thing I can imagine is that the Browns win by 10 or fit or 14 in that matter. Uh, I can't imagine the Steelers winning by 14. That seems like a, a foreign country to me. The Browns have what it takes to do so do the Steelers. So I, that's the the tough thing. But also then if you tease the other way, you're getting the Browns at two and a half and that doesn't mean uh plus two and a half. That doesn't means nothing to me. That's pointless teaser. You're not getting valuable points there. I wouldn't be surprised Pittsburgh wins this game at all. I think this right. game is awesome. That's what I'm saying. So that's uh, I like where your head's at. I, I think I might dabble in a, in a similar regard there um, with that with that teaser style. So I like that. And lastly, I just want to mention 49ers at Denver Sunday night football. Two one and one teams. Jimmy Garoppolo back at the helm for the 49ers. Trey Lance obviously went down with that brutal injury, which was tough for people to see. 
and is really sad for a guy who, for all the people who had faith in him, for all the people who didn't think he had it in him, you hate seeing a guy in his first real year get that season-ending injury. So that one was tough. But boy, do the Niners look smart right now, keeping Jimmy G around, not taking some lackluster trade just to get rid of the guy to make their locker room happier. Everyone seems to love Jimmy G, and goddamn, do they love him now more than they ever did because they have a real quarterback. So I, I don't know, Pat. Minus one and a half 49ers. What are you thinking? Don't give John Lynch that much credit. He wanted to try to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, bro. The fact that Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't the starting quarterback from week one was a fucking joke. Never want to see what happened to Trey Lance happen, but it, it's, it's for the best. This team is way – they're miles better of a team with Garoppolo under center. The faster that Lynch realizes that, it begs for his job, begs to not be fired because uh, Trey Lance didn't work out injury or performance-wise. Um, it, you know, it'll be the best thing for him. But, yeah, no, I'm back on the 49ers being an NFC contender now, dude. I'd put them third in line. I'd, I'd put Tampa Bay one. I'd put Green Bay two. I'd put San Francisco three in terms of the NFC. Um, I think they're that great. I think you, you see the, those guys fucking love Jimmy G. Uh, we're a little concerned with the run game. You know, Mitchell went down and then their rookie went down as well. Uh, so they got to, you know, they'll see if they can do it, um, you know, especially without Kittle being out. But, dude, that was a hell of a performance on, on them from Sunday. You still got Debo. You still got that defense. Cardinals, uh, excuse me, Niners are going to be solid. Yeah, and the guy to look out for now is Jordan Mason. So Jeff Wilson's still going to be the number one back there. And now they have another rookie running back, Jordan Mason, who in the preseason looked like a dude. Like he looked like one of these random Niner running backs who's going to come in and go 10 for 77 for, for no reason at all, right? Like that's how he looked in the preseason. He came in fourth in the depth chart. Guess what? Now he's number two. So it's going to be interesting to see if it's all Wilson because – uh, Davis Price had 14 carries and looked good. He looked fine. He did, and that sucks that he sprained his ankle. But they also – I think they had him on the practice squad. They elevated Marlon Mack too, so who knows? You know, when it comes to Shanahan, the, the rule the, of thumb to live by, never bet the running back props because you don't know who's getting what carries, yeah, what day, and what, and what distance. You could throw Debo, Debo gets some carries in there. That's the only person's rushing yards you should take when betting the Niners. But, yeah, no, I think, uh, I think that was a shot in the arm getting Garoppolo coming in there, playing the way he did and leading them to a win. Huge, huge for them. And on the flip side, it's the Denver Broncos who even with the win walk away with swirling negativity around the franchise, around the head coach, around the quarterback fans in Denver booing in week two with the lead, with the chance to win counting down the play clock insanity, Pat, like they're counting down the play clock because they are disgusted with the clock management and game management from their new head coach and quarterback. And honestly, kudos to the Broncos fans, because guess what? There's booing in all stadiums, all teams, all sports. I'm not a guy who's usually at a game booing. I just don't care to boo. It's like not my thing, whatever. I get it though. Fans are emotional. This was hardly emotional. This was tactical. This was the fan saying we are aware of what the hell is going on in the field. Why don't we help you out? That's what the fans said to the Broncos coaching staff. And goddamn, they needed it, man. It was ugly. This guy Hackett needs to figure it out or he will be a one-year and done guy. Because you trade for Russell Wilson, a GM is not eating that. Russell Wilson ain't eating that salary and that contract. The head coach will be gone before we know it. We might see the first head coach fired in his first season uh, just right off the rip. 
I mean, if you don't figure it out and it doesn't get better soon, man, how? How do you even operate in that football crazy town doing what you did? That crowd's going to be on him. And this one's home again, prime time. If they have more mishaps with clock management and game management, that crowd might wait for him at his car in the parking lot. They might be out there saying, hey, you want to come over to my house and play Madden? I'll show you how to call a timeout correctly. <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing? Seriously, bro. 13-year-old me playing Madden and you playing Madden could have done a better job with the third downs. Do we want to go for it? Do we want to hand off to our fucking tight end who's ran the ball once in his life? And when we have Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, do I, do I want to trust Russ? I want to kick a 64-yarder in Seattle last week, but now at altitude, I don't want to kick a 59-yarder. Like, dude, I will say this, though, and I'll give you some quick nuggets here to finish on, on two of the other games. Uh, what, Russ, Russ has to get some blame, too. Right, he's not. He he cannot be. Now I see. Now I'm stuck on a word I'm looking for. He can't be absolved of his of his sins of his play calling. Yeah. And I, I said sins because we know how big of a religious freak he is. <laughs> uh, he can't be absolved of how shitty he's been. The third down throws, you know, throwing some balls just straight into the ground. He does not look good either. Um, so there's that. And then just uh, you know another thing from Monday night too. Monday night Kirk uh, is going to Monday night Kirk. You know, what was it three picks in the red zone? I mean, terrible. Darius Slay, kudos to him. Some of those balls were thrown right at him, but they were phenomenal. Um, you know, I would put the Eagles, I said the NFC contenders, I'd put the Eagles at four. I put the Rams at five. I put the Eagles at four with a chance to jump to one or two by the end of this year. Jalen Hurts looks good, man. That front seven is is fucking scary. And it's, you know, the secondary, like we always said, like, oh, like Darius Slay, Avante Maddox, eh. And James Bradbury. Didn't even play that great on Monday night, but those guys had huge games, a couple of picks, causing havoc. Philly at home, man. And I don't think it was just because of the home opener. That that environment, that atmosphere, I feel like is going to have an extra layer of intensity to it this year because they know that this team's special. I said the Eagles are going to win the NFC East. I still stick by that. They're a dangerous team. Um, and then one other thing I wanted to touch on um, for week three. No, I lost it. I forgot what it was. Well, why, why you find that I have a few notes for you here. So back to Denver really quick. Javante Williams averaging five and a half yards per carry. Five and a half yards per carry. He also has 12 catches on 16 targets. This guy needs to be fed a little more. They are dead even as expected as all fantasy Javante Williams owners had nightmares about of them absolutely splitting down the middle, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. Melvin Gordon is very good. He deserves touches. Javante Williams deserves more. He's averaging five and a half yards a carry. Yes, Melvin Gordon's averaging just under five. He's doing very well. When you watch Javante, everybody who watches football sees a special running back. Let's feed this man because it can't just be throws to Cortland Sutton, which was basically their entire offense in week two. You're right. Russell Wilson's got to figure it out. So does that damn coaching staff. As for the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, right now, Miles Sanders is at just under six yards per carry, Pat. 5.9 average, 176 on 30 attempts. Jalen Hurts, 147 on 28 attempts over five yards of carry. They have four rushing touchdowns combined. That running game is serious. And now you mix in A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, who looks good. Well, they finally threw the ball to. Finally, and he looked great doing it, right? And Quez Watkins is a guy who last year, it's like, oh man, is he their number one? Is he their number two? That's not very good. Now in a number three role, Quez Watkins, what's up? 
he's out here. Dallas Goddard looking like the tight end. We all hoped he could be yeah, man. AJ Brown is a freaking dude. And the Eagles are scary, man. They're scary with that running attack. I mean, your two lead runners, almost five and a half and six yards of carry. What, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do? Yeah. And the last thing before we wrap here that I forgot that I wanted to say in the words of Kanye West, Hey, we made it Thanksgiving. Maybe we can make it to Christmas. Frank Reich will be lucky to make it to Thanksgiving. Oh, oh yeah. Frank Reich on the hot seat. I don't know what happened here. I'm looking on pregame.com. It says that that Chiefs-Colts game opened up at three. I have to imagine that was the look-ahead line because there's no way that opened up at three on, on Monday morning, right? Or Sunday no, night? can't be. It's already six and a half, um, and right now the numbers are very strange. I'm not putting any – I'm not putting any – like – any sort of trust into what's going on with these numbers right now. I'm going to wait and see on that game because six and a half is just a scary number. I don't like it at all with the chiefs and how they looked and how bad the Colts have looked so far. Uh, I don't, I don't know what the hell is going on there. John Taylor might have to do something. Matt Ryan looking old. It's ugly in Indianapolis and uh, Chris Ballard as well. Might have to look out for his job. Usually DraftKings does a good job of when you see, when you look at the betting trends. No, this game did open up as three. It opened like what is that? And then a week, every, a week ago, oh, a week ago. So it was before the games. It must have been a look ahead line because there's was. no way after they lost twenty four nothing to Jacksonville that opened at three. All the sharps would have put their houses on that game four days ago, which was what Saturday, I believe. Yeah, it was three and a half, and then after the game Sunday, two days ago, six. Okay, okay, makes and, more sense. And now six and a half went to seven back to six and a half. Right. Probably end up at seven or seven and a half. If I had to guess. Yeah. What a, what a week, what a world, Pat, another week talking football with you. Always a goddamn pleasure, my man. And uh, yeah, excited to do it, bro. We could like, I, we, there's, know, there's like wanna, six more things we could have talked you about. You don't want to do a three hour pod. We could do a three hour pod every week. We could do We could literally do like, yes, two, three hours a day. We could, <laughs> we could much to talk about right now. We could do like a we could do a Rosillo, do like three hours, three hours a pod, and people would love it. <laughs> hey, I love Rosillo. Don't come at my guy. I love Rosillo too. I find myself sometimes I'm like an hour and then 38 minutes deep, and I'm like, oh my god, like I got. I wish it was longer. I got to move on at some point. You know, you know though, I gotta say about Rosillo, and this is just a, an aside here before we say goodbye. I don't know if there's a better guest than Trent Dilfer right now in the game. I don't know how you feel about Dilfer Dimes coming in on Rosillo's pod every other week, talking knowledge about quarterback and coaching, playing football. I am enthralled by every word Trent Dilfer speaking on the Rosillo podcast. I don't know. Do you do you agree, disagree? I'm going to be honest. I haven't listened to Dilfer yet. Oh, I haven't listened to him on, on Rosillo. Every, anytime I, I usually am big, big time Rosillo basketball season. I don't listen to a lot of him during football season. So I'll have to check it out. You just, yeah, I don't, uh, I, I don't care as much about the college football. So like, I'll still probably listen to most of his college football stuff. But every other week, he has Dilfer on Mondays, and I would recommend anybody who likes football to go listen to this week's with Dilfer. It was fantastic. I mean, just the way he breaks down coaching and quarterbacking is so next level to me. And now, granted, I'm not you know some special spectacular uh, X and O guy or or whatever when it comes to football. I'm just a, a guy who watches a lot of it and and thinks about it as much as possible, but it, it was, it was really good. He's off the charts. The one thing, the one thing actually that I, I want to call out here is Marquise Hollywood Brown. He got into him. He was talking about wide receivers and, and guys who he thinks are actual dudes 
in this league. And he was like, Marquise Hollywood Brown has, he wants nothing to do with blocking, with getting physical. All he wants to do is run deep. And he's not even that good at catching deep balls. Like he's like, he got into Hollywood Brown so hard. And I was like, wow, that came out of nowhere. He's not one to attack people. Like that's not his style, but he was like, DeAndre Hopkins comes out and he's a, a cog in the run game. Cooper cup blocking people downfield. He's like, you can't have receivers who don't want to get involved in the run game. And the way he was breaking down, I was like, wow, that's just something that, that most people don't think about. Like I can talk about Hollywood Brown and I'll be like, yeah, I don't think his ball skills are very good. He's just a fast guy. I don't trust him. Blah, blah, blah. Then you think about it at the next level and you're like, wow, that's why another reason why he just has been underwhelming as a one receiver or a two receiver. And it was, it was a uh, really interesting to hear. So, yeah, yeah. no, so, for sure. I like that. I, yeah, you check, you, you sparked me, you inspired me. I'll, I'm going to check it out as soon as yeah. we're done. And then uh, go back and listen to subway sports talk episodes. So you can hear how right we've been and how wrong we've been all season. Cause that's what it's going to be all year. You're, we're going to be right a lot. We're going to be wrong a lot so far. Some of our preseason takes looking good. Some not as good, but that's what we do. We're going to be here talking football all year long. We sprinkled in some baseball today, playoffs, just a few weeks away in baseball. Pat, I actually recorded an Eastern conference preview podcast with my guy, Patrick Apino from the Oakland Warriors podcast today. So I even got basketball rattling around in my brain today. I don't know what's going on, but I'm excited about it. <laughs> A loaded pod today for sure. And Pete Kennedy thinking basketball in September. I love it. <laughs> yeah, man. All of a sudden I'm starting ripping off takes about the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Toronto Raptors. I'm like, what's going on right now? What day is it? I have no idea where I am. This is amazing. <laughs> but that's all we got. Subway Sports Talk. Thank you all for listening. As always, for Pat Boyle at Pat Boyle 44. Maybe hear his voice on the airwaves this weekend, WFAN, CBS Sports Radio. You might hear it if you're t- if you're tapping in. And then, uh, of course, Subway Sports Talk at Subway Sports Talk at P. Kennedy 2 Wise. Don't forget to subscribe and review. We thank you for listening, as always. So that's it. Shout out AC for his freestyle rap prowess. Shout out to all of you for listening. Cheers.